wait for that. In the meantime, keep our focus on you. Keep us learning from you, surrounded by people that we love and being part of the family of God. Until that day we see you face to face, walk us through every occurrence, every situation, every circumstance that we deal with here on this earth. But I'm so unbelievably delighted that there's coming a day when we will see you face to face. In the meantime, walk with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. That's without a doubt one of my favorite hymns. Those of you who loved hymns, I thought you'd sing louder on that one. I love that song. We've been on a journey over the last number of weeks on 50 Days with Jesus, and I can't end this series without that thought. So the Sunday after Easter, there's one more piece of this, and that is the second coming of Christ. It, I'm going to call it the old Paul Harvey line, the rest of the story. Because you can't really celebrate Easter and all that it brings in Good Friday and Easter celebration without really understanding the rest of the story. And so we're going to celebrate that after Easter. A lot going on in your bulletin this morning. Make sure you read it carefully. Family experience 10 minutes after I'm done here over in Kids Stuff Theater. Kindergarten to fifth grade. Make sure you get your kids and go back and share together and learn and grow together. Priscilla Schreier con or, uh, simulcast coming up this Saturday. So uh, if you're still looking, there's some people out there at the uh, back table that are going to get tickets for you so you can be here and a part of that. Good Friday night, 7 o'clock here, communion. A little bit different than what we normally do. You'll see tables when you come in. Great music, just a powerhouse night that Dave and I have been putting together, and we're looking forward to that night. We just trust you're here as well. But it is going to be a little bit different, but I guarantee you, you will enjoy it. And then Easter Sunday celebration, 8. What's the next one? And what? And 11. Just want to make sure you're paying attention. 8, 9, 30, and 11. All three will be full. Invite a friend anyhow. Help them to understand what it is that God offers us and the beauty of being able to celebrate on that particular Sunday. I talked to a sister here this morning and said, every time we visit another church, we come back saying, wow, God, have you blessed us here. And so we're just delighted to be able to share that together with your family and friends. So I encourage you to take some time and invite them here. I have sermon notes in your bulletin this morning. I'd love for you to take them out and answer the question. When Jesus was here on earth and you wanted to tell somebody about him, you would probably say things like, you've got to come and see this guy. I mean, you've got to come and see this guy. He's unbelievable in what areas. He, the, he was known for his what? Healings. Healings. I mean... Seriously, I was there one day, a guy was blind being led in, and the guy walked out seeing. I saw another guy, I was in church one day, everybody had their own seats, you all know how everybody has their own seats, right? So it was pretty packed, and it was full. As a matter of fact, there was no place available. They wanted to bring this guy in, so they cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down. It was unreal. And Jesus not only healed him, but he forgave his sins. Everyone was blown away. I mean, how cool is that to have a friend who's so interested in their friend coming to Jesus that they cut a hole in the roof and made sure that he could find Jesus? Now, that's a great friend. You're never going to believe this. I was there one day. Five, six, seven, ten thousand people showed up. Little kid came up with a, a lunch. Now, I'm talking a lunch. I'm talking a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. Fed the whole group. I mean, how awesome is that? What else was he known for? 
His miracles. Raising the dead. I mean, a guy had been in the grave for three or four days. And all of a sudden, Jesus called him out. Called him a couple of times, probably couldn't hear that far back. So he called him a couple of times, and all of a sudden, this mummy-like guy walked out, and they told him to unwrap him, and he was there. He was also known for what? His teaching. You've got to hear this guy. I mean, he teaches like no one I've ever heard before. Now, think of yourself being one of those disciples. You were around Jesus for all of those occasions. You're now in your second or third year. So you've seen the feeding of the 5,000 or 10 or 20,000. You've seen the lame walk, the blind see. You've seen leprosy heal. Nobody would even touch these guys. And Jesus touched them and they were healed. You happened to be in the boat when he got up one day after a huge storm, right in the middle of the storm, and said to the storm, be quiet. And it was. If you were there in all of that, wouldn't you, if you were one of the disciples, ask Jesus to teach you how to do some of that? I mean, God, I love for you to tell me, how did he do that? I mean, how did he take those fish and those loaves of bread and feed all those people? We should have invited him to one of our venison dinner because every once in a while, we're a little bit worried that we're going to run out of hindquarters, and so we're not sure if we're going to have enough meat, so we ought to have Jesus or at least teach us how to do that so we can pray over that and it just keeps going. Somebody must have done that because every time we have one of these, now after number 35, and we pray over it all. We have not only enough for first, but seconds and then some left over. Wouldn't you want to know how he healed? Wouldn't you want to know how he did some of the things he did? Wouldn't you, in the middle of the storm, every once in a while, want to open up the window and say, be quiet? And it was. I know I would. Walking on water. How cool is that? Peter tried it. Didn't work. I saw my dad do that once. Literally, I saw my dad do that once. You've heard me before. I grew up on a dairy farm. And in a dairy farm, in most cases, you always had a farm pond. Looked a lot like this one here. There was a backside of that farm pond that every once in a while, maybe about once a year, Dad would say, take a break. I think that was about the only time we heard it. Take a break, go swimming. So you're out in the field all day. You're harvesting wheat, oats, and all that stuff is kind of itchy. And, and, and you're doing a lot of hay. And, and you're really sweaty. You're really tired. And Dad say, go jump in the pond. And we would do that because very seldom did he ever tell us, go take a break. So when he said, go take a break, he didn't have to get the word out, break. We were already gone. And we all jumped in the pond. We're swimming around. And all of a sudden, one day, he says to me while we're doing this, where's your brother? And I'm going, it wasn't my turn to watch him. And we look out, and there in the middle of that farm pond is a head. All we could see was a head. And he's in the water, under, not over to swim, not able to get out from it, walking somehow toward the edge, trying to find his way to the edge of the pond. And I literally saw my dad get up and walk on water, probably 10 to 20 feet, until he got there, found him, and picked him up out of that. And I thought, that man just walked on water. I didn't know you could go that fast. If I were around Jesus during all of the experiences in those three years, I would have wanted to at one point or the other say, would you teach me how to do that one? But of all the things that the disciples saw during that experience with Jesus during those three years, there's only one time that I know of or I can remember when they said, Lord, will you teach us how to do that? And it was what? Lord, would you teach us how to pray? 
Now think about it for a moment. Would that what you would have asked? Would that have been what you would have asked after seeing everything he had done for those three years? i got to believe that every once in a while, there's a couple other things you would say, would you teach us how to do that one? We had one of our guys at man camp do some card tricks that morning, and I actually called him up on stage. Every time I watched one of those, I said, will you teach me how to do that? And out of all the things that the disciples saw that Jesus did during those three years, they said, we want you to teach us how to pray. And so that leads me to believe that there was something so unbelievable about Jesus' interaction with the Father and something so incredible about his prayer life that they were captivated by that thought. And at one point, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, they said, would you teach us how to do that? There's something about his prayer life that made them so curious that they wanted to know how. Mark 1.35 said, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Do you ever wonder if they followed him at any point? Because even though Mark 1.35 only points it out once, i got to believe he did that on a regular basis. And if you have a prayer life that's fairly consistent, I've got to believe that you have those places in your life or in your home or in your area or in your world where you do go off every once in a while and find some place to pray. And I've often wondered, did they ever follow him? And did they ever listen? I mean, what are you talking to God about? What are you asking him to do? And whether or not he ever answered that question to them, he did indeed give us some insight. John 15, 15, everything I've learned from my father, I've now made known to you. And so they're thinking through that process of what they've asked him to do. And everything I've learned from the father, I've now given unto you. And they're going, okay, that's what you're doing. If there's one thing people kept saying about Jesus, it was what? They were amazed at his teaching. So much so that the Jews in seven, John chapter 7 says, how did this man get us learning without ever having studied? And Jesus answers that question in the very next verse. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. So if indeed, after all that I've seen Jesus do, and after all of these experiences that I've been a part of, and I've watched his life, and I've watched his ministry, that's the one thing I want to know. How you do that. And i got to believe if it was incredibly critical for Jesus to spend time with God, it's got to be even more critical for us. Because unless I'm crazy, none of us in here had the equal capacity of Jesus, right? So if indeed it was that important for him to spend some time with God, so much so that they wanted to know all about that, i got to believe it's even more important for us. If I were to ask you this morning, if there are an area of your life or a couple of areas of your life that you'd love to improve on a little bit, and you were to answer that question out loud, I've got to believe that it would probably be something along the line of, I wish I was more consistent in my prayer life. I wish I was more consistent in my Bible reading. I mean, most days I get up early and, I, and I, I'll read a little bit or a passage here and there, but I really wish I was more consistent in my Bible reading and I really wish I was more consistent in my prayer life. I got a list. I give it to God every day. It's pretty long and I make sure he gets the list, but I, I just wish that I really fully understand how incredible the opportunity was that I had to come into the presence of Almighty God 
And I were able to schedule my life enough that I spent some time lingering there. In our prayer time together, the elders gathered together every Sunday morning, about quarter to nine, and Jim said, God, probably never get an invitation to the Oval Office. And I thought that would be cool to be in the Oval Office. But every moment of every day, I get an invitation to the throne room of God. How unbelievably awesome is that? So when that invitation is given, I got to believe we want to take advantage of that. So much so that the disciples said, Jesus, we want to know about that one. And so he teaches them. So Matthew chapter 6, you've been there before, we've talked about it before, but I can't finish this series and put it all together in this context without spending some time on this particular section here in what you and I have called the Lord's Prayer. He never does. We call it that. Found in the Sermon on the Mount, the context is Matthew where he's discussing a number of the spiritual disciplines. If you want to get better at anything, you've got to discipline yourself, right? You want to be a better athlete? You've got to do the stuff. You've got to do the work. Just doesn't happen automatically. Eat your Cheerios. You're the greatest athlete on the planet. Doesn't happen that way. You've got to go through the discipline. You've got to work out. You've got to make sure you're exercising. You've got to make sure you're eating right and all those kind of things. Whatever it is that you want to do, you've got to make sure you discipline yourself to do it. In the spiritual journey, it's just the same. You don't automatically become one of the most amazing Christians on the planet. Even though you may think you are, you don't automatically become. You've got to work at it. You've got to discipline yourself. You've got to make sure you schedule some time with God. You've got to make sure you put some other things aside. You've got to make sure you're in the Word of God. It just doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen because you carry your iPhone around with you. That somehow you just collect all that Word in your head. You've got to spend time in the Word of God. And so he says, you need to spend some time in the disciplines of the spiritual journey. Fast every once in a while. I mean, give up something, not just for Lent, but give up something, a specific time. It's a meal. Most of the time they do that. Stop what you're doing. Quit eating for this moment. You, you're all right without a meal. There's a lot you haven't missed, so obviously you'll be okay with this one. And spend some time with me. Serve. Don't just receive. Serve. Matter of fact, I didn't come to just receive. I came to serve. So he talks about service, and then he talks a lot about prayer. We're going to talk about that this morning, just in that particular context. One of the questions that I'm always asking membership class, and you'll see one in the bulletin in the next few weeks, is why don't we do the Lord's Prayer on a Sunday morning? I grew up that way. I mean, how many of you grew up where it, when you went to church, you said the Lord's Prayer, all right? Quite a few of us. That's a question I'm always asked. I'm not always sure if I'm exactly right on this, but I don't believe his intention was for us to simply repeat it like God is good, God is great, now we thank him for our fruit, or now it lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. In this context here in Matthew, he's already talking to religious people who simply repeat words without feelings. In this case, I honestly believe he gives us a model of prayer, not a pattern to follow. But a model of prayer, an incredible model of prayer. And if we're honest, one of the things we really want to improve in our spiritual journey is our prayer life. And so in their context, he gives them a model of how to make sure when I come into contact with the God of the universe, I understand who he is, what I'm doing, what I'm there for, what I receive from him, and how I finish that process. Not just repeating words, but understanding context. And so he begins with our Father. You have your sermon notes this morning with you. Our Father infers two things, intimacy and relationship. 
And in that, two kinds of relationship. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. That's why he uses the word our. Prayer always begins with relationship. I've heard people down through the ages say, I, 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 I prayed and I asked God to do this, which is awesome. That's exactly what you want God to do. But in some cases, I've seen their life, and I know they have absolutely no relationship with God. And I find myself wanting to say, you ask the God of the universe for that, and you have no other relationship with him? I mean, if I needed 100 bucks, I probably would go to somebody I had a relationship with, which is most of you. So I want $100 from every one of you before you leave them. I would go to you if you were a friend, not just an acquaintance, or walk down the street and say, hey, bud, I need 100 bucks. I mean, if I needed five bucks, I'd do that maybe to a stranger. But if I needed something significant, I would ask someone I had a relationship with. And so God says, I need you to understand. Jesus says, I need you guys to understand. When you begin to talk to God, you begin within the context of relationship. Not just because you need something, you're trying to get out of something, you have a problem with something. You begin within the context of relationship. God, Abba, Papa. God begins. Did somebody say the same thing? That's awesome. I love it. Rachel texts me and says, every text I get is Papa, and I love that. When it comes to relationships, look at what kind of relationship he says here. He uses the Hebrew word Abba, and that word has never, ever been used before within the context of prayer. And so Jesus forever changed prayer when he used that phrase, Abba. The Old Testament, they didn't even want to say God's name. They took all the, all the vowels out and called him Yahweh, which is the continents, and never really was going to say his name out loud because he was always far off in a distance somewhere. And now all of a sudden Jesus, in this context here, breaks all the barriers and says you can come to him as the Papa. You can ask him anything you want to. I read a, a phrase a long time ago that says this, our earthly father should not be a model of our relationship with God. Our relationship with God should be a model of how we have relationships here on earth. No matter what the relationship with our, heavenly, or with our earthly fathers look like, we can't use that as a basis for rejecting a relationship with our heavenly father. But in many cases, our human experiences make prayers of intimacy difficult for us, especially if abuse occurred. But it shouldn't make it impossible God can heal any past hurt and restore brokenness. If we forgive our families as God has forgiven us, which is what we pray for here, then that act of forgiveness can lead us down a path and give us victory over our wrong perceptions of God. And we can now come to God as our Papa. And in this context here, Jesus breaks all the barriers down, removes all the obstacles, and says, you can come into the presence of Almighty God. I realize you got problems, you got baggage, you got situations, you got past experiences, you may not have a good model at all, and I understand all of that, but I want you to know within the context of prayer, you can come to me as your Papa. So what do you want? I know I've said it before, but I never in my experience with my earthly father remember calling him father. I always remember calling him my dad. When I talk about him, when I talk about the farm, I always talk about my dad. They say that any man can be a father, but not everyone can be a dad. There's a lot of truth to that. I know a lot of people who would never refer to their fathers as dad. And so when I look at this context here, I realize what an amazing gift God gives us in this situation here, in this context of prayer, when we can call the God of the universe our papa. 
I've said it before, but I have a, uh, these unbelievable images in my head of the difference between my grandfather who lived next door and my pap who lived eight miles away. And for all of my life, as I've worked through the process, even Connie and I, we were away on Monday and we talked about growing up on a farm and what it was like. And I had a guy who lived next door who was my grandfather for 18 years before I went off to college and then he died. And I remember in my head only going over there twice. And I still to this day only remember ever calling him my grandfather. My pap lived eight miles away in Cross Creek, Pennsylvania. And my brother and I would every once in a while, if we got a break from dad, would take our bicycles and ride over the river and through the woods to pap's house we'd go. And in those days, our bikes were one speed. We actually called them three. Somewhat easy, coast, and we're out of our minds. Those were the three speeds those bicycles had. And there were times we're going 50 miles an hour, what we thought were 50 miles an hour down a hill, never knowing if we were going to see Jesus at that moment or not or ever get there. When I realized my girls were going to get married and that someday God was going to give them children, in their case it was adopted children, I said, you need to know right up front, man, they're going to call me Pap. Not Pappy and not Papa and not all those other words. 473 names for grandfathers that I, no, I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> but there's a lot of them. I don't want to be called anything else but Pap. I want to be that kind of guy that I had to my grandsons, in this case sons. When I first told them that, I remember the emotion welling up inside of me when I said I want to be called Pap of a guy who had died 35 years before. And there was still that amazing connection. And I love the fact when Jesus said, look, come to the God of the universe and call him Papa. You notice he also refers to him as our Father, which connects us with one another. Second thing you notice about this prayer is the phrase, hallowed be thy name, which means holy in your sermon notes. A balance between intimacy and reverence and relationship in this context. And it's fascinating when he ties those two in together. Papa, I can come to him about anything, anytime in this relationship. And now hallowed be thy name or holy is thy name. Hallowed means to hold God in reverence, to exalt him. It's the essence of the first of the Ten Commandments, no other gods before me. I have some people in our church setting here through the years who have come in and said, it's so different when I come to Community Alliance, which is a good thing in some respects, but it's so different when I come to Community Alliance because I grew up where when I went to church and I walked in through the doors on the outside, it was really quiet. In some cases, they like that, and I understand that. They came from a liturgical background where when you walk beyond that door, the moment you walk beyond that door, there was hush and there was silence. And I understand all of that. Here, sometimes it's the opposite of that. What we do intentionally is to try to create a balance between all respect and reverence and the relationships we have with one another in the family of God. One of the reasons we spend time in praise and adoration is to remind us of the holiness of God. But we also are reminded of the relationships of the family of God. And so intentionally every once in a while, even in the greeting time, we have the opportunity to understand both aspects of our relationship with God. That I can come to him as a friend, as a child, as my papa. And I can also recognize and understand the reverence and awe of who I'm coming to. In verse 10, key word is your. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And if we're honest in many of our prayers, that's the hard part. Your will 
be done. Because we honestly have a pretty good idea of what we want God to do when we come to him in prayer, right? Got to know you're busy, six and a half billion people on the planet, got a lot going on. There's a lot of major wars around the world, a lot of floods, a lot of stuff, some fires happening, accidents everywhere. So I don't want to have you bothered with this issue, so I'll just go ahead and take care of it if you don't mind. Now, we never say that in our prayer life, but sometimes that's how we act. We know what we want God to do. We understand that I should talk to him about it, and so we tell him, but we also have a pretty good idea of what we're going to do when we walk out of that context. The issue is always, can I come to the ultimate conclusion in the process of prayer, your will be done? Another question that often arises, can I question God's will? And I've always said, yes. Got a, a dozens of biblical models who did Abraham, Moses, David. I want to be sensitive here this morning, but even after the first service this morning, I had a family who may lose a business. I had two children who lost their father. I had an EMT who's dealing with child abuse. And I had somebody who doesn't know if their wife is going to make it. That's just after the first service. And so when I realized the diversity of the issues that come on a Sunday morning, I realized they're enormously complex. And sometimes they're really difficult. And I find myself saying, God, I don't understand this one. Why did that happen? And they ask me, can I say that? And my answer always is yes, because I've already asked them that. I know a little bit about it. One of the classic examples is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it is possible, is there any other way I would appreciate knowing it because I would love for you to take this cup from me? The cross and the plan of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit began before time began and had been going on for over 4,000 years of human history. And now here Jesus asks the question, is there another way? His conclusion not my will, but thine be done. And I've often wondered what went on in heaven at the space of time between the asking and the submission to God's will. I mean, there's a book, uh, a verse in Revelation where it said there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. i got to believe there was a lot of silence in heaven at that moment. Lord, is there any other way? And what was it like there in that space between the asking and the submission to God's will? Sometimes for us, it's a long time. Between the asking and the answer to the question, I don't like it, I don't understand it, but I have to make a decision whether I trust you or not. Because you made a promise a long time ago that you'd never leave me or forsake me. You made a promise a long time ago. You'd walk with me even through the valley of the shadow of death. I have to decide in the middle of what I don't like I'm going through right now and what I clearly don't understand and what I wish were different, whether or not I believe those promises that you won't leave, that you'll never forsake, that you'll walk with me even through the valley of the shadow of death. Fascinating section of Scripture. I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. When he sent some of his disciples out after being in prison to ask Jesus the question, are you really the one who is to come or should we wait for someone else? When I realized that John was the forerunner of Jesus who at his baptism said, there he is, the Lamb of God. But now in Matthew 11, are you the one or should we look for someone else? What changed? Prison. That makes sense. 
And sometimes we go through those dark holes and we wonder, okay, I don't get this one. I don't understand this one. There's no way on the planet that I could ever tell you what I've dealt with in the last four years of ministry and the people that I've sat beside in some of the most difficult circumstances of life for myself and for them as well. And I've always tried to do the best I could to help them understand that even in the midst of all of this, I have to make a decision. Do I trust God or not? Christians are classically known for their religious platitudes. Well, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Really? Not always. Matter of fact, I'd love to know what translation you're reading to find that one. Doesn't always happen that way. Can I ask? Absolutely. Can I question? You bet. But it will always boil down to trust. Praying for his kingdom to come means I really want to see his kingdom to come now. So when I pray for healing at the end of the service and we go in here and we reach for the oil and we believe that if God's people will come and ask, which is what James says, if any of the sick among you, let him come and ask the elders to pray over them. I am absolutely convinced that when I lay my hands on you, we pray over you, that the God of the universe can heal right now or I wouldn't ask and I wouldn't pray. Because he said, thy will be done on earth, not then, not when you get the ultimate healing, so they're going to get an ultimate healing when they die and they go see Jesus. I'm praying for his will to be done now on earth just like it is in heaven. So God, when you say yes in heaven, I'm asking you to say yes to this. I'm still going to trust you even if you don't, but I am going to ask. I'm going to ask for restoration. I'm going to ask for the prisoner to get set free. I'm going to ask for the lost to be found. Even though I, I'll never imagine my dad or my mom or my family or my friend coming to Jesus, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray until I see them come to Jesus, till I see them come to church, till I see you face to face. I'm going to ask for your will to be done, even in the midst of this mess, for your will to be done, just like it is in heaven. But I need you to know, God, if it doesn't go my way, or you don't answer the way I'm praying, I'm still going to trust you. And believe me, that's a really hard conclusion to come to sometimes. But the ultimate conclusion of what we believe in this context Verse 11 obviously deals with our needs. Give us today our daily bread. Key words naturally are today and bread, which relates to what I need, not what I want. And if you're really honest, as I'm really honest, my want list is far larger than my need list. And every time I come to him, boy, I'd love to. Oh, yeah, okay, that's a want list. <laughs> well, God would be great if, oh, that's a want list. Psalm 23 is... If it's not in your sermon notes, jot it down because it's one of the greatest, one of those ones we memorize along with the way we do the Lord's Prayer. But Lord's my shepherd. As long as he's my shepherd, I'm good. I don't need anything else. What else comes beyond that is awesome. Notice it's in the context of verses 34 and 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. All the other things will line up. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worry of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Philippians chapter 4, I have it in your notes this morning. If not, put it down there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, prayer and petition, tell me about it. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've prayed with someone and have had them say, 
you know, I don't understand in the midst of the uncertainty about where this is going to go or whether or not I'm going to live. I have peace, and I don't get it. I don't understand it. I said, you know, it's funny. He mentions that a couple thousand years ago in Philippians chapter 4. If we really do come to him with total submission, total confidence, and total trust, in the middle of that unbelievable circumstance, he will give us a peace that doesn't make sense, but it comes when I fully trust in him. Verse 12 deals with right relationships and, of course, our sin. It's incredibly important when coming to God in prayer that my relationships laterally and horizontally are clean. Sin will always block the barrier, which is why he said, look, even in communion, you guys got to deal with some of this stuff because you're coming to me in the most intimate setting on the planet in communion, and you got a lot of junk going on. If you don't deal with it, I will. Matter of fact, I've already dealt with it, and some are already sick and died, so let's deal with that issue before you come to me. In Matthew, it's a verse that I have there for you, Matthew chapter 5. Look, you got a problem with your brother? Man, deal with that problem. Then come and give. Now, we took offering this morning, right? I didn't see a single one of you get up before you put your money in the plate. And again, I get it. Not everyone, we give online. A lot of people do that, so you don't always put money in the plate. But I never saw one of you get up and say, wait a minute, before I give my money in the plate, i got to fix a relationship here. And then come back and put your money in the plate. We don't usually give you the latitude, the opportunity to do that. But he said, look, you, you, you need to deal with some really broken relationships. Matter of fact, husbands, let me be really honest with you. You want to know why your prayers aren't being answered? Because you're not treating your wife right. So until you start treating your right, wife right, it's in your sermon notes, First Peter. And still you tar- start treating her right, I'm not going to answer that. So when that gets right... Then come back and talk to me about this. Ah, That's pretty heavy. But our relationships need to be right, which is also obviously why he deals with the issue of sin in verse 12, because sin blocks our connection with God. Unforgiveness, I wrote this, unforgiveness and its brother bitterness will eat at you like a cancer. Unforgiveness and its brother bitterness will eat at you like a cancer. But you don't know what they did to me. You're absolutely right. I don't. (laughs) But I'm telling you, it'll eat a hole in your soul faster than acid if you don't deal with it. And it certainly will block the connection. So I've got to make sure that I'm clean before God and clean with my relationships around me. Doesn't mean perfect. My goodness, it doesn't mean perfect. And times it's going to take time, and you've got to work through the process and get healing and restoration and all. And I get all of that. It's not a magic formula where it just automatically goes away. But I'm telling you, they're connected if we don't really understand that. Finally, in verse 13, he said, Look, you need to also pray for your, ask God to pray and watch over you in the midst of your enemies because you're fighting a battle between the world and its influence on you, between that junk inside you. And Paul said, I don't get it, God. There's things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Things I really wish I did that I can't do. What's going to happen to me? Who's going to save me from this cycle that I'm in? Only Jesus. But you will wrestle with it. And then finally, the enemy, Satan, in Ephesians chapter 6. And we told you about that for a whole series a few weeks ago. But it's a real battle. And so you've got to be honest before God when you recognize what you're facing in that context as you come to him in prayer. Do you ever notice that, that and thine is a kingdom... And the power and the glory forever isn't in the Matthew 6 passage? I mean, how, how many grew up praying the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, you wrestled with two things. One was, are they going to say trespasses or what, right? 
And then the other one is, where does that come from? If you read it out of, what's the other? I'm, all I have is trespass. What's the other one? What is it? Debtors. Debtors. Yeah, that's it. Um, this one, it doesn't end. It's not anywhere in there. Matter of fact, no translation ever finds for lines of kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Somewhere along the line, liturgically, we added that for a lot of churches to do the Lord's Prayer. There's one connection. I think I have it in your sermon notes. I don't, but it's in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, where David said, Yours, God, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth. Also, it comes up again in the book of Revelation. For thine is the glory and the power forever. It's something that was added. Nothing wrong with it at all. But it doesn't come out of that context. The bigger issue is, when I explore my heart condition that we spent two weeks on, and I recognize that one of the best ways to deal with some of that stuff is on my relationship with Almighty God, then I need to know that when I come to Him, I can come to Him about all this junk. And my words and my mouth or my actions or some of the things we talked about for the last two weeks. And I know he's going to be okay with that because I can come to my papa about anything. I also need to know that I've got to deal with my junk and I've got to deal with this stuff. I also need to know that sometimes I'm getting hung up on the wrong things because I'm really worried about wants when it's really not about that. It's about needs. And so within the context of prayer, see it more than just words that I repeat but a relationship with the God of the universe that I get to have who helps me with all of this. It is an amazing prayer. We're going to end that way this morning together corporately. But I don't think it was ever meant to be something we repeat without understanding the context. And so I can't finish this series on a walk with Jesus without understanding the one thing out of all the things those guys saw him do, they wanted to know more about. It was his prayer life. Study it. Increase it. Work at it. Work on it. I guarantee you it is worth it. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, thank you so incredibly much for giving us that kind of access to your throne room. And for allowing us the privilege of being able to understand it well beyond just words that we repeat. But the context that we can live out that will change everything about our relationship with you, with ourselves, and with the people around us. We praise you for giving us this model. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If I can pray for you, I'd love to do that. Family experience, 10 minutes from now. Kids stuff here. We can pray about anything with you this morning. We'd love to do that. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an amazing day. We'll see you next Sunday.